Captain Kirk. Fascinating. Well, I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. Thank you, thank you. Love you. Most illogical. I thought. Well, that was different. Yep, rousy, but different. Places, please. And here we go. Welcome, ladies, gentlemen, bears, packlids, and things to episode 89 of the Muppet Trek podcast. I'm Steve. And I'm Jarman, and we're here to compare, contrast, and confer about our two favorite franchises. And what are those, Steve? The Muppets and Star Trek. We have been doing one-to-one reviews of The Muppet Show and Star Trek The Animated Series. And tonight we're covering The Muppet Show, a special guest star, Jonathan Winters, and Star Trek Animated Series episode, Once Upon a Planet. And how. (laughs) So, Steve, tell us about this... uh, Lovely comedian, Jonathan Winters. Yeah, actor, comedian, and all-around American personality. He became known for his comedy albums in the 60s. He won two Grammys, one for Best Children's Album and one for Best Spoken Comedy Album in 76 and 75 and 96, respectively. He made appearances on many TV shows, including Mork and Mindy, where he was actually like a regular or quasi-regular, The Steve Allen Show, and he was also in movies like It's a Mad, 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 Mad World. But what does our audience know him from? Many of you grew up hearing him, not knowing. He was the voice of Grandpa Smurf on the Smurfs, and he even played Papa Smurf in the 2011 CGI Smurfs movie. Wow. So he was alive then. But otherwise, not a whole lot in our generation. He did a lot of voiceover and animated stuff later in his career as he was getting older. That's Jonathan Winters, but what is he up to this week on The Muppet Show? Well, the backstage plot centers around the fact that a gypsy curse has been placed on the show. <laughs> Plenty of things go wrong. Kermit refuses to believe there's a curse. A meteorite falls backstage and aliens pop out. Uh, Scooter reveals that the end of the curse, will everyone's going to turn Swedish and everyone breaks into Swedish at the end of the show. Um, on stage, though, Kermit introduces Jonathan Winters, but not before almost being killed by a falling bag, like sandbag and lighting. He introduces a circus featuring a bunch of pigs trying to uh, tangle and control a tiger while singing hold that tiger a lion with a gun shows up and more items fall from the sky they go through flaming hoops and make their escape it's a weird weird number <laughs> Jonathan hits the stage but all his props are gone due to the gypsy curse Fozzie brings out his personal prop box and Jonathan goes on the curtain uh, opens and he pulls out a series of hats providing I guess characters for each of them Fozzie hands him more hats out of the box. Uh, he eventually dons a cowboy hat, does an actual half-decent John Wayne, yeah, and makes some very dated and insensitive Native American references. He then puts on a native, uh, an Indian headdress, uh, but lux- luckily the gypsy curse intervenes before it can get far too racist <laughs> and the set falls down. It's terrible. Uh, Fozzie and Scooter hit the stage. They perform on her doorstep last night. They're joined slash interrupted by two aliens. Fozzie follows this up with Bear on patrol. He comes in with an octopus on his head. The octopus was picking pockets. Bear is overtaken by uh, when the captain gives him a new assignment investigating a stolen octopus. We then get a gypsy number called Golden Earrings with a gypsy band. And it's like a nice sultry tale of love spell and casting it every night. It's kind of an okay number. Up next, we visit Muppet Labs. We are introduced to the luggage compressor. Beaker is inevitably pulled into the machine, and he is squished like a pancake. Following this, we get a sweet number with a caterpillar 
in like rain gear wandering through a storm and he sings you'll never walk alone it is honestly really sweet and a great effect with all his little feet moving in it was tandem. great the gypsy introduces the final number because everyone else is speaking swedish and we get some large costume trolls in fancy like gentleman outfits uh, they dance to english country garden the newsman reveals he's the only person not affected by the curse it's weird <laughs> kermit thanks jonathan winters uh one last time jonathan joins him in swedish and that is what we call the muppet show so jarman what did you think of this week's episode with jonathan winters oh i think this for me he comes close to being joining the worst guest we've had ever in the show in my opinion <laughs> i can say definitively he at this this is at this point the worst one of this season oh this season for sure i would have to look at without some question. of the others but this season without me even really have to think about it <laughs> yeah this is the worst abysmal like it just is like and it wouldn't even have to do with any of the problematic material even without that he was just like bored to be there his jokes weren't funny and they even seemed like, especially the hat thing, seemed like they were improvised and badly mm-hmm. improvised. Like, it didn't seem like he was planning for what he was going to say. Um, maybe he was, but just and seemed, like not only that, yeah. that is literally the only time he went on stage. Exactly. And like, like he, think of the show. He wasn't on stage for the show at any other point. And he's a comedian who does characters like this is a perfect opportunity to shine in the Muppets. Like, what the hell happened? Um. Now, um, I will say on beyond that, I did sing, enjoy. He didn't dance. Yeah, he didn't dance. He didn't do anything. <laughs> now, I did enjoy the backstage plots. Uh, the, the, the being cursed was pretty cool and how things were kept going wrong. That was kind of neat. Um, but I, as I learned only a couple years ago, and I, I'm sad I didn't learn that very long because now, I now have a Romani friend that using the term gypsy is offensive. And same thing, same like, oh, I got gypped as saying you got scammed. These are things that we take out of our vernacular, our vocabulary. So just another thing to add to the long list of, of problematic things you should not say anymore that are on this episode. Um, but anyways, but they also because he was not on stage at all, we got a lot of pretty cool um, sketches for just the Muppets. Um, like, I really like the bear on patrol with the um, octopus. I loved love the bear on patrol. Uh, the Muppet Labs was good. It was fun. And short. Yep. And to the point. Uh, I love the little thing with the caterpillar. That was adorable. That was just adorable. Yep. And a nice little break. And then the troll dance was cool, too. Uh, um, yeah. But that once again, it was like, why isn't Jonathan Winters on stage for the final fucking I know. number? <laughs> he didn't do anything. What is happening in this <laughs> epic? He didn't do anything. Um. So, no, I, I totally agree. This, without thinking about, it, is the the worst one of season four so far. Oh yeah. Um, and even the, the, the curse wasn't, it started as a really good premises and got premise and got derailed so fast. Yeah. I was like, Oh, there's a curse. Everything goes wrong. Great. Oh, a meteorite came in. Now there's aliens here. <laughs> and in the end, they're all speaking sweet dish. There's like too much going on. What just, what just happened to this episode? Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, I, I'm totally with you. Not great. <laughs> Not great. Not great. And Jonathan Winters just didn't do anything to redeem himself. A- aside from even the really dated, the one funny thing. Okay, I will say, 
there was one funny scene with Jonathan Winters where he's in his dressing room. I didn't mention this. And one of the aliens wanders in and says, I am Jonathan Winters. He's like, oh, you're Jonathan Winters. Yes, I am an American comedian. Oh, Steve Martin, you'll do anything, won't you? Yeah. <laughs> that was like a genuinely funny. Him taking a shot at Steve Martin was maybe the one genuinely funny moment from him. In the and Steve Martin show. would have been like a pretty new comedian at that time. So that's kind of funny. He had already he had already uh, guested. Oh, that's right. Like two or three seasons earlier. That's right. In the episode that wasn't an episode, it was them doing auditions. Mm, that's right. Yeah, I think uh, um, this just goes to no, show totally, that how I'm, I'm totally much a bad host can affect the episode. Like, because the rest of the episode wasn't too oh, bad, yeah. and he just made it that much worse. It was just, yeah. So let's talk about some music this week. Hold that tiger. It's also known as the Tiger Rag. It was recorded originally by the original Dixieland Jazz Band. That's actually the name of the band. And the U.S. Library of Congress in 1980 added the 1918 recording to the National Record Registry in 2003. So it's in like a vault somewhere. Hmm. On her doorstep last night, originally recorded in the 20s, it became a big hit for a group called Bonzo Dog Duda Band. <laughs> Kid you not. Bonzo Dog Duda Band. On their album Gorilla in 1967, they were a comedy band from the UK and they went through a crazy psychedelic rock phase where they got the attention of Paul McCartney, who asked them to appear at the end of the Beatles film Magic Mystery Tour. Wow. The song they performed at the end of that that movie was called Death Cab for Cutie. Oh. And that is where the band Death Cab for Cutie got their name is from the Bonzo Dog Doodah Band. <laughs> That's so random. Um, Golden Earrings from 1947 movie of the same name. The song was written by Victor Young. Victor Young was nominated for 22 Academy Awards for his music, but he only won his first one after he died for his last thing around the world in 80 days. And he still holds the record for most nominations before winning an Oscar. Mm. This guy. Hmm. You'll Never Walk Alone from the musical Carousel by Rodgers and Hammerstein. This was their collaboration after Oklahoma. And while very favorably reviewed, the negativity in the reviews were basically from everyone expect Oklahoma was so good that people kind of had these really over the top expectations for Carousel that it couldn't possibly meet <laughs> because Oklahoma was so good. Um and then English Country Garden, this is not the first time we've heard it on the show. It was actually on in season two, performed by Fozzie and Rolf the dog on the piano. Uh, and that's the one the trolls are dancing to at the end. That's right. So, Jarman, what did you think was the best Muppeteering moment this week? Um, I actually going to give it to the bear on patrol sketch um, because it took some real skill moving around with that crazy octopus, like wrestling Fozzie and the tentacles coming and slapping things and. And then the um, it just like, yeah, him being on the face at the end. But I did give the Caterpillar a close second for the because I was just really impressive. The whole production of that Caterpillar number was amazing. Um, I'm also I gave it to the octopus. I love the octopus and Baron Patrol. And really what it comes down to is that was just like Frank Oz selling the crap out of that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then the reveal of the octopus having taken his place at the end. Which is such a good, a good, like, chuckle-worthy moment. To it was, the sketch it was, on. for sure. So, Jarman, what happened on this week's episode of Star Trek The Animated Series? All right, so now we have the episode Once Upon a Planet. 
And the Enterprise is due for some shore leave, so what better way to do it than to return to the place where Bones was killed, the shore leave planet from the original series. Hey, he was only kind of killed. Yeah, well, he was killed and then like brought back to life, repaired by the robots. Supposedly. Yeah, he was only he was only like ha- half murdered. Exactly. At most. <laughs> Uh, so shortly after they beam down, Bones is attacked yet again, and this time by the Queen of Hearts from Alice in Wonderland and her playing card soldiers. And for those who don't remember the original episode, this planet was able to produce the fantasies of those who land there with these lifelike robots that they instantly create um, simply by the visitors thinking about what they want. And it isn't supposed to let anyone come to harm. It's just um, so the queen trying to take off Bones's head seems not normal at this point. Uh, Also at that time, one of the planet's robots kidnaps Ahura and takes her to the secret underground cavern where the master computer resides for the whole place, the whole planet. And apparently the master computer has started to resent being used simply to provide pleasure to others. And it now wishes to put itself on the Enterprise so it can explore the galaxy and find other smart computers like itself. So it starts to take control of the Enterprise systems, much to Scotty's chagrin up on the Enterprise. And as Kirk, Spock, Sulu, and Bones search the cavern's uh, entrance to find Ahura, they run into the the gravestone of the former keeper of this planet. He was an advanced alien uh, sentient race um, who was there in the first episode, and apparently he's dead. And that's why the computer now wants its independence. So now the computer, instead of manifesting robots uh, to do fantasies, it's now matching the dangerous thoughts and fears of the away team to fight them off. But Bones remembers that the computer didn't let him die the last time they were on this planet. So Bones thinks they should pretend one of them is dead so the computer will take their body down to the underground base to make repairs on the body. And that way the rest of them can follow them in and find Ahura. Spock volunteers. So Bones injects him with a substance that will make him appear dead. And the robots do indeed come for his body, but only Kirk is able to sneak in with him to the underground lair. And Kirk is then able to talk to the master computer like he does best. He's always talking and arguing with computers and killing them. Um, and he finds the computer is very confused. And it thinks that the crew of the Enterprise are slaves to its ship. And he also is able to convince the master computer that instead of exploring the galaxy, it can stay right where it is. And all the alien races of the world will come directly to it here on this planet. As long as it keeps being a great shoreleaf planet that people want to come to. And it keeps bringing their fantasies to life. So the master computer finds this logical and decides to change absolutely nothing about his situation as long as Spock just hangs out with him for a bit to keep company and talk to him for a while. And that's what we call the episode. So, so Steve, what do you think of this thing? Okay, some things I liked. I love that they re- they're revisiting old characters, in this case, old locations. Like, that feels really good as a callback from the show. Yeah. Um, I liked the whole, like, the planets under new management angle. Mm-hmm. So I started liking this and it became a negative. And I was like, oh, Ahura was taken and this might be like an Ahura centric episode. And it kind of was until she basically got rendered useless. Yeah. For the entire middle to end. And I was like, oh, this is not an Ahura episode. Got <laughs> it. Uh, I love the moment where they're like, where Bones like, well, Jim, there's not like there's going to be a sign pointing to the underground entrance. And then Spock's like, sir, look, a sign pointing the way. <laughs> and there was just a sign there. I just love that moment. Uh, and I love I liked the solution. It was very Star Trek of them using prior knowledge and then faking the injury with Spock. I thought that was really clever and very Star Trek. That's true. Um, dislikes. 
I wish Ahura just would have been more effective. It really felt like she got sold short. I thought they were setting her up to like, you know, she finds the, the answer of this one. Yeah. It just right. Or she works from within to disable the robot at a chemo. Like it just didn't happen. Um, there were some wishy-washy rules and I'm always a stickler for that. Like, and they didn't really explain it. Like no one thought of the pterodactyls, but they make reference to cat and mouse. And suddenly there's a giant cat there. Like even they were perplexed by that. <laughs> so I was like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, like where there did, was why, a weird animation choice. They oh, never yeah, explained the, the pterodactyls basically. <laughs> yeah. Right. Even he was like, none of us were thinking of pterodactyl captain. There must be something else going on here. Ah, oh, you're right. Spock. But like, they didn't get into it really more than that. <laughs> Uh, there was a weird silhouette effect they used several times where they like clearly didn't want to animate the cells. So they just colored them black. Hmm. At one point, like a bunch of the crew members were standing in the trees and it was just black silhouettes uh, underground. There was a shot where I think Spock was running and he was just a black outline. Oh, I see that. You're right. I was like, what the hell is happening? <laughs> um, and then this is sort of overall sort of these episodes and why I think they don't necessarily work the same way that the original series did is that in most of these episodes, it feels like they really don't know what to do with the B plot. And because it's a 20 minute slot or 22 minutes, they don't have a lot of time to do the B plot. And so because of that, it's like when they do try to do it, it feels really weird. Like what the, what the hell was happening on the ship? Just mayhem for the sake of the ship being in mayhem. And then the whole like, uh, we've got a computer on board. It's a new computer, and it's being assembled by our computer. I was like, what the hell is happening? <laughs> Someone fixed the B-plot. <laughs> um, and I think, once again, I think it's just because of the truncated runtime. They don't have time to dedicate to the B-plot, and it's like, wh- why is it even there? Well, to be fair, even the original series, there barely even was B-plots. Like, there wasn't anything at all. It's kind of just all one main story. Sometimes there were True, but very so maybe this is just them architecting something new because that's very TNG. Yeah. Like a plot. What's happening on the planet? B plot. What's happening back on the ship? Oh, my gosh. TNG Voyager and DS9. They they all have a very easily detectable, complete B plot, complete a plot every single episode. It's like they had a formula. Um, but we'll get there, obviously. <laughs> uh, I thought one this cool is when thing, they were still proving that formula. Yeah, exactly. I thought one cool thing was they had for the first time showing zero G on the enterprise. Cause they can do that. Now that's animated. That's true. That was pretty cool. Um, yeah. and yeah, I also like there was a callback to an original series episode. I did think that it suddenly tied up in a bow really quickly. The whole ending just suddenly ended. And it was like, Whoa, that was resolved very quickly with the computer. Right. right. With like no effort too, with like a, a three sentence conversation. Yeah. It was over. <laughs> so that was kind of, that was not a fan of that. Yeah, I agree. Uh, honestly, I think despite the like nostalgia factor of this one, this might be one of my least favorite from this season. Yeah. I put that it was a pretty unnecessary episode. They could have done a lot more, something more interesting with the shore leaf planet because it has a lot of possibilities and they didn't do much with it. It kind of sucked. Um, Right. You're talking about a a planet where literally anything can be fabricated like on the spot, crazy over the top things. And they used it to do an Alice in Wonderland reference and create one dragon. Yeah, it was a really missed opportunity. It could have been a lot of things. And so one of the bottom ones for me this season as well, for sure. You got some facts for us? I sure do. Uh, This is one of the very few times that a Federation starship is shown to be equipped with seatbelts, a common sense precaution whose absence had had long puzzled fans. 
Uh, perhaps the only other time is in a deleted scene in Star Trek Nemesis from 2002, made nearly 30 years later. So only a deleted scene has seatbelts hmm. in any of Star Trek, even though they're bumped around and thrown around all the time in all these shows. Um, this episode, of course, is a sequel to Shore Leave uh, from the original series. Another sequel to that installment with the working title Shore Leave 2 had been proposed for the original series but remained undeveloped. Um, in this installment of the animated series, the use of animation allowed for the realization of some concepts which the um, the writer originally conceived of for the live-action episode, the first one, Shore Leave, but they couldn't depict them because of budget concerns. Like the mechanical arms in those robots, he really wanted to have those in the original episode, but there's like, no, we can't do this. We're, we're in the 60s. Um, <laughs> so in a uh, production inconsistency due to the use of recycled footage from earlier episodes, and I noticed this a couple times in the past few episodes, every time there's a close-up shot of Scotty using the um, transporter board, it's always old footage of uh Lieutenant Kyle doing it because there's a big mustache on his face from the back. But you see the side of his mustache <laughs> as he's pushing the <laughs> transporter. It's like Sky doesn't have a mustache. So what, who is this guy suddenly? Um, and hey, uh, Scotty was trying it out just like he tried <laughs> out that new haircut in season three. And it didn't work. <laughs> nah, they gave him like that weird Kirk haircut for a little while there. That was odd. It was strange. Um so Spock remarks in this episode that his mother, Amanda Grayson, was particularly fond of Lewis Carroll's work. And in the episode of uh, Discovery, only like a few years ago, uh, Michael Burnham reveals that Alice, that Grayson, uh, Spock's mother, had read Allison's Adventures in Wonderland to her and Spock when they were children. Um, so it was this this remark from the original the animated series was brought up in discovery you know decades and decades later so this is actually canon which is pretty cool is this is the animated series considered canon across the board it is considered canon across the board surprisingly okay all right <laughs> uh, all right well trek connection muppet connection jonathan winters appeared on 20 episodes of mork and mindy William Shatner guested on a episode in 1978, and there is a great picture of him, Jonathan Winters, and Robin Williams all together. Oh, cool. Uh, the Carol Burnett Show in 1967, season one, episode 12, featured guest appearances by Jonathan Winters and a quick guest appearance by Leonard Nimoy. Ooh. And then in 1985, there was a TV miniseries version of Alice in Wonderland. Jonathan Winters played Humpty Dumpty. The TV miniseries was star-studded across the board, including Robert Morley, who played the befuddled Englishman on a bench who advises Kermit and the gang where to stay in the Great Muppet Caper. Ah. Sally Struthers, who would go on to be the voice of Charlene Sinclair on Jim Henson's Dinosaurs. Telly Savalas, who played kind of the gruff bar patron in the Muppet movie. And Harvey Corbin, uh, Muppet show guest. Very I think nice. also Carol Channing is in there who will be a Muppet Show guest. That's a lot of connections. A lot of connections. <laughs> and it makes sense because these were basically the same episode. Oh, they so were. And I mean, look at it because both episodes have outsiders arriving on a foreign planet looking for a good time with the aliens from the meteor in the puppets and Muppets and the Enterprise crew on the Shorely planet. I mean, come on. Uh, both feature strange happenings in a familiar place, a return to the shore leave planet to find it under new management 
and a seemingly normal show touched by a, a Romani curse. <laughs> you know, trying to better myself. Oh, there you go. That's nice. I wouldn't have thought to do that. Um, both episodes, similar to what you said, have something that's seemingly working like magic, trying to sabotage their every move with the curse on the Muppets and the highly advanced machine on the shore leaf planet. Both feature missing female characters. Uhura is taken by the computer and Miss Piggy is just flat out missing from the Muppet show this week. She really was. That's true. She Um, just wasn't there. And both episodes have giant cats terrorizing the cast with the lion and tiger in the circus sketch and the giant kitty on the cave entrance in Star Trek. (laughs) Oh, I didn't even catch that. That was a fun one. (laughs) Oh, what's that noise? Oh, my God. Transporter Ah! malfunction. Transporter malfunction. All right, it's that time of the episode where we transport one character from one episode and then the other vice versa. So what you got for us, Steve? All right, Muppets to Trek, I'm going to take the trolls from the final number and uh, make them the horrors on the planet, uh, replacing the dragon and, like, chasing Sulu and Bones <laughs> up into the mountains. <laughs> and at the end, though, they cut to a picture of them and Alice and Bones and Sulu all having a picnic together. Oh, that would be delightful. <laughs> right? Oh, awesome. Up it's a Star Trek. I have the old gypsy woman, Romani woman, as we should say, uh, come over and replace the advanced computer because then Kirk could just pay her a few bucks and she'd call off her machines. <laughs> nice. Uh, Trek to Muppets. I'm going to bring over the two headed dragon thing and replace both the lion and the tiger shooting flames onto the hoops as they scare and escape the pig circus. <laughs> I love it. Uh, for my Trek to Muppets, I'm going to have the keeper of the Shoreleaf planet, that yes, the guy who's dead, uh, come over to replace Jonathan Winters. <laughs> okay. Because even his rotting corpse could perform a funnier prop comedy act, and it would be a lot less racist, too. <laughs> yeah, man. I could agree with that. Oof. But uh, that brings us to the end of episode 89 of the, of the Muppet Trek podcast. Join us next time for The Muppet Show with special guest Mark Hamill. And animated series episode, Mud's Passion. So from the lovers, the dreamers, and us. Live long and prosper, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Muppet Trek Podcast. Be sure to follow us on social media on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. This podcast has been brought to you by A Play on Nerds. Oh,